0: Welcome to the First Time Facilitator Podcast. Whether you're a first time facilitator or a seasoned pro, listen in for tips and tricks to make a bigger impact at the next workshop you deliver. And now, your host, Leanne Hughes. Hello everyone and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Leanne Hughes, and I'm here to help you create unpredictable workshop experiences that predictably work. Wow, it actually feels like forever since I last recorded a solo podcast episode. Uh, We've had so many superstar guests on the program in recent episodes, including Justin Nickerson, the auctioneer, Joanna Wiesinger, a thriving strengths coach in Texas, and Nir Ayol, talking about indistractability and how we can make tractions on the things that really matter to us. And if I'm completely honest, I'm doing something I have never done before today, and that is write and record a solo podcast episode on the day it's going to be released. So it is Monday, the 25th of November. It's around 9 a.m. now, and this is going to hit the airwaves in about seven hours. I don't usually procrastinate, I usually schedule at least a couple of weeks ahead. But I wanted this episode to really highlight what's going on in my mind right now about my career, my business, about facilitation. And I am so glad I waited to record this uh, because I received an email from a very old friend, Rachel Ryan. G'day, Rach. Uh, She's currently living in Spain with her beautiful family. Uh, Now, Rach and I are mates on Instagram. We went to the same high school and played netball together together. So Rach sent me an email, but I received about 7.30 this morning, and she's reached out with some questions about what I'm up to, you know, what really lights me up about being a facilitator, how I started this journey, how I escaped the nine to five, what I do on a daily basis, just really cool exploratory questions. So instead of writing an email response back to Rach, I thought I would record my responses to her questions on this topic and share it with you, the world, or I guess first time facilitator listeners. (laughs) Now, before we jump in a couple of things, I'm still working on my 2020 strategy for 2020, and I'd love your help and input on that. Let me know your thoughts. A link to that survey is in the show notes, and I'll probably wrap this up in a couple of weeks. So please, please, if you haven't already, please take the survey. Um, I'd really love to hear your thoughts. And of course, after my Paris trip in September, I am now a certified Pivot facilitator. What does that mean? What is Pivot all about? Uh certainly had an impact on my career and I'll talk a bit more about that in this episode. But if you're curious to know more, I'm running a free one-hour webinar on the Pivot Methodology. It's on this Thursday, the 28th of November uh, from 2.30 to 3.30 p.m. Brisbane time. And of course, if you can't make it due to time zones and life getting in the way, that's cool. Uh, the webinar is being recorded, but you'll only get the recording if you register over at leannehughes.com forward slash pivot. So, if you're really struggling to figure out what's next for you uh, and this episode inspires you to ask yourself that question, then hop on the webinar. And remember, if you'd like to continue the conversation when the podcast is over, you can join a community of over 390 facilitators from all over the world on the free Facebook group called The Flipchart. You can view a link to the group, my 2020 survey, pivot webinar deets in the show notes for this one at firsttimefacilitator.com forward slash episode 94 now onto the show I have had a pretty massive three weeks, and I guess that's partly to blame for why I'm recording this episode on its release date, but that's not an excuse. I was actually intentionally procrastinating on this episode. I was kind of waiting on inspiration for what to talk about, and I had a few different topics in mind, Uh, but like I said, this email from Rach came through in the nick of time uh, because I was kind of deliberating on talking about international opportunities and, and all that sort of stuff, but um, that's why Rachel's questions really fit in nicely here. So what's happened in the last few weeks? Well, I've been in Mumbai and Delhi in India. I ran two workshops over there. They were huge. And I mean that literally, they were actually like the, the group sizes were massive. Usually the content for the workshops um, is suited to around the 20 person mark, about 20 people. But we had about 20 people attend in, sorry, 28 people in Mumbai and 34 people attend the program in Delhi which of course created – I had to do some course redesign, uh, updates to activities and also adjust the pacing. And then I flew back to Brisbane for one and a half days before jetting off to Singapore to deliver the same workshop. Now, this time we had a smaller group, so I then had to adjust back to that style more and facilitate those deeper group discussions – Now, of course, all groups were absolutely wonderful to work with, had a high level of interaction. Every group was different, even though the content was the same. And that's why I love facilitation is because of that variety. But I wanted to pause there, though, and reflect on what I've just said. I just can't believe that after quitting my job in February 2019, that I can say I've been to India and Singapore uh, and Hong Kong and Paris, that I'd be given the incredible opportunities to fly to these places and and run workshops. Like what on earth? I guess when you quit your job, you're conditioned to protect yourself and things are uncertain and ambiguous in the business world. You don't have that steady paycheck. So I was certainly asking myself um, this question as well, like how did I get these gigs? And in fact, one of the major reasons I didn't want to quit my job was I was scared that I wouldn't land any international gigs because I do love the international work. So Rach emailed and uh, she's seen the photos and videos of my time spent overseas recently and was wondering how it all happened. And I do love that quote. I don't know if it's Jeff Bezos from Amazon that's been attributed to this one. Uh, I can't believe Mark Twain hasn't been because he's over attributed for all these quotes. But I think Jeff said, it took me 10 years to be an overnight success. I don't think of myself as successful. I, I think a lot of this has been beginner's luck, uh, but I've also had the gut sometimes to ask for things. I think everyone has their own path and unique journey to make it where they are. So in this episode, I'm going just to reconnect the dots that got me to where I've got to currently uh, and that got me these international gigs in the last couple of months. And please understand, like, I'm absolutely... In the thick of this, too. I'm still trying to nail down what topics I want to focus on in the future. I still view myself as too much of a generalist and I want to be a thought leader in a topic. It's just a matter of what's a topic. In fact, I had this conversation uh, with Michael Bungay Stania. He's the author of The Coaching Habit and I interviewed him last week. That episode will be released in February when his new book called The Advice Trap comes out. Uh, But Michael is a Wall Street bestselling author. Uh, He runs a very successful learning and development company called The Box of Crayons. But even he says that he's still trying to figure it all out. He's trying to figure out what he stands for and what he wants to do when he grows up. And he's over 50. He said that himself. I'm not giving away his age. He said it on the interview. But when he said that, I couldn't believe it. So like if you're struggling with figuring out what is next for you, the first thing I would say is, well, guess what? We all are. Even the people that we look up to are asking themselves this question. So the second thing I would say and to add on to that is good on you for getting the self-awareness to realize that you want to make a change and to embrace these uncomfortable questions that you're asking yourself. Just don't be too hard on yourself. I think self-compassion is very important here. Uh, Just understand that you're not in this alone. There's a lot of us, uh, particularly people that we look up to, that are also uncertain and ambiguous with what they'll be doing in the future. So Rachel's first question was, I'm curious how you ended up in this facilitation world. So I thought I'd re-engineer my facilitation journey and connect the dots going backwards. I grew up playing a very popular team sport in Australia when I was a kid. It was called netball. And it was a huge part of my life for over a decade. I played pretty competitively, got to go to national championships And I even represented my mother's country, Papua New Guinea, in a series of international test matches in Samoa, which was super cool. Um, I had to learn the national anthem the week before playing. (laughs) My favorite part of playing netball and being in a team was the actual team building stuff that we did and the times we got to work with sports psychologists. Uh, So when I was younger, before each weekly match, I would set three goals for the game after the game, I'd go back into my training journal. I'd reflect on the goals and rated myself on how I did. I would add my shooting percentages to my training journals. And before a new season even started, I would set goals on what I'd like to achieve in the sport, the teams I'd want to be selected in. I'd also document when I'd practice my shooting, I got into these performance habits. I was interested in performance and also group and team dynamics. I was curious why some of the teams I were in were high performing and why others weren't so much. I was interested in coaching styles and leadership styles in the team. And this was also supplemented because my dad gave me a copy of The Seven Habits for Highly Effective People as a Christmas present when I was younger. I give given books like Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. That's when I really got into the self-help genre and I just devoured books on just really how to be a better human. Uh after leaving school, after leaving high school, I had no idea what I wanted to do. So this is, as you can see, this is a common theme in my life. So I just decided to follow the traditional path and do what my friends were doing and go to university. And I picked two degrees that were very general. I picked an arts degree, double majoring in psychology and a business degree majoring in human resources. Uh, and the reason for this choice is basically what I explained. I knew that I loved group work team dynamics and high performance. I really wasn't a high-performing university student. Uni, for me, was really all about having fun. Uh, But when I reflect on the subjects where I got my highest marks, my high distinctions, they were all on the topics of sports psychology, organisational psychology and training and development. I was naturally interested in these themes and I think a good first step is to reflect back on what are the subjects and topics or things that you did as a kid that really gave you the most joy and thrive. And that's why I've shared a couple of examples of the netball, which was a good part of it, the self-development books that I loved reading. So go to your bookshelf, what topics are you interested in exploring? Maybe there's a clue there. And also what topics at university or um, later on in life did you really enjoy consuming and studying and, uh, and you got the grades to prove it? So after university, I went overseas and lived in the UK and Ireland for 18 months. I initially picked up a proper real job uh, at a university, University College Cork. Then a few months later, I came to a realisation that I wanted to be like every other Aussie over there. So I ended up working in pubs most of the time in places like uh, Kinsale Island and in Cornwall, England, beautiful seaside villages. I got back to Australia, I had burned up all my cash, so I needed to make some, and I ended up scoring an analyst role for Accenture as an instructional designer. Now, instructional designers, we design training content. So we talk to the subject matter experts, and then we think about how would you how would you put this information into an online training course and make it interactive, fun, but still retaining the skill. So I guess it taught me a few things like, interviewing subject matter experts, profiling target audiences and writing content in in a consistent way. But to be honest, it was completely mind numbing. It was mainly computer time and I really, really disliked it. That's when I had a quarter life crisis. So, the instructional design, I think, while I hated it, um, it Actually, served me really well for what I'm doing now because I think design is one of the most important skills to have if you're delivering workshops all about your process and all about your design. So that year, while it was hard, I'm glad that I had it. But then I had a a quarter-life crisis. I ended up joining a company called Wicked Campers and ended up doing marketing for them. Uh, That job included going on road trips all around Australia and New Zealand, filming road trip videos, and that's been awesome because the video work and media has helped me with my podcasts and building a profile on, on platforms like LinkedIn. And then I ended up moving to Broome in Western Australia. I met a guy through the company who I ended up marrying. He's my husband. And I moved to Broome, which is a remote town. It's about population of about fifteen to 20,000 people. And I got a government job there in marketing. No one could believe that I did it. I was very much known as a city person, open to opportunities and here I was living in like the, one of the most remote towns in Australia, let alone the world. Uh, the best thing about that was when you work in a in a place like that in a marketing role, you've got to learn everything because you're one man band doing the whole job of a marketing department. So I learned a ton of things. I got involved in a lot of events and online marketing again, which has served me very well in my business now. A few years into that job, um, I was given – there was kind of like a fork in the road and I didn't even realise it at the time, to be honest. One of my colleagues, Tracy Deegan – g'day, Trace, if you're listening. Trace is a member of the Flipchart. Trace was heading on maternity leave and she was in a workforce development manager role, which was all about professional development of the staff. And it didn't even hit me until – Her job was advertised on Seek and Chris, my husband, was on Seek looking and he saw her role being advertised and he said, well, why don't you go for it? Uh, I had never even thought of going back into the world of workforce development and training, to be honest. I hadn't. I I was really excited. I thought my future career was all in marketing. But that one question of why don't you go for it changed things. It changed everything. It really did. Uh, Applied, luckily got the job. And I loved bringing marketing into workforce development. We did a lot of really cool things as part of that job. Brought in my love of sport and training and teamwork by running a – it was like a sports carnival. So all these different sporting events on Cable Beach, um, which was just amazing. We called it the KTI Open. We had teams for, it was like Survivor. It was just super fun. And then my colleague, Bonnie Robinson – was working in business development. She got a request from the Shire of Broome and they were asking for a trainer to run some presentation skills. And there was no one at the organisation I worked for that could do it. So Bonnie was looking at, you know, maybe we fly someone up from Perth to do it. And I, I turned to Bonnie who, by the way, is an incredible HR person. She's a director at a university in Australia now. And I said to Bonnie, surely we could do this. I think we could do it. And And that was the first gig that we got for ourselves. Um, So Bonnie and I prepared our butts off and we, I don't think the show knew that it was our first presentation, uh, but we faked it till we made it. And I was like, this is really enjoyable. I thought you can get information that you enjoy consuming and share it with other people. And I think from that moment is when I realised, hey, this could actually be a career. Like people will pay for you to actually learn things and share it with them. So I thought... I don't mind doing this. We put a tonne of pressure on ourselves. We spent so much time preparing for it, but the rewards were fantastic and the feedback was pretty good considering it was our first go. So that was how I got my first proper gig was through internal roles. And you'll see that pattern play out in my next role when Chris and I relocated back to our hometown of Brisbane just because the opportunities were getting sparse and Broome being a small town. And I got this job at Tease, a global mining company. What attracted me to Tease was that it was an international company. They had operations in Canada, Mongolia, Indonesia, across Australia, as well as Africa. I was interested in the mining world because my husband had been working in mining in Western Australia. um, And I'd been working for the government. So I wanted to work for a private company, which had a bit of pace. So we moved back to Brisbane. And I started my new role with Tease, my I scored the job of Organisational Development um, Advisor and I started there on the 4th of July. And I'm not going to say that disliked my job, but I would say that I was very uncomfortable there for the first six months. I guess I'd gone from being extremely comfortable and uh, playing in a small pond, being a big fish in my previous job, and I'd come into this organisation where The pace was a lot faster. It was like moving from third gear to fifth gear. It was just fast. I didn't really know. It was a new role. I didn't really know where I sat and how I'd, I don't know. I just was very quiet, to be honest. It was very quiet. I wasn't showcasing what I could do best. And I guess it's okay when you join a company, but... I didn't, I didn't want to be someone that joined a company, didn't make an impact. I really wanted to make an impact. So that And because I wasn't or I didn't think that I was, I felt uncomfortable around that. So I was actually in the process after six months of looking elsewhere, looking externally. And then I discovered Pivot. That's the book by Jenny Blake, the webinar that I'm running on Thursday, which gave me a process to navigate this feeling of being uncomfortable and what's next. And what I discovered then that there were actually a lot of opportunities within the company that I wasn't actively pursuing and I thought well what if I give it a chance and change my approach what if things change for me that's a very Jim Rohn thing to say I love Jim Rohn by the way I put a link to one of his videos in the show notes so ended up changing things and ended up loving my job and getting all of the opportunities to be honest and it started with putting my hand up and co-delivering a little module within a leadership course with Nikki McMurray. G'day Nikki if you're listening to this uh, she was she was, I think, the guest on episode three of this podcast. She is an incredible facilitator and she gave me some amazing feedback as well and got my confidence up. I also got the confidence and the trust of my manager and we're moving to a stage where mining was now picking up. All of our projects were getting busier and the staff wanted more development. So I started getting calls from people within the business who wanted workshops done internally. This led then on getting a trip to Canada to run three leadership courses over, which were two-day programs. So I guess I was thrown in deep and I'd gone from co-facilitating to now going international, being the only female in the workshop room. We had 20 participants that were all male uh, thrown in the deep end. So that Canada trip really kicked things off uh, then, I, when I got calls from people in the company, I said, Hey, I can run things for you. I can run a Strengths Finder workshop for you. I can run your workshop on getting better at presenting for your supervisors. And just any kind of request I got, I was meeting it and saying, Yeah, I can do that. I was getting more and more confident after every workshop. And, as a process of doing this of, of being a really great um, supporter of development in the business and saying that I could run these workshops, I was also developing a brand for myself and that's very important because people do end up talking, and the best work that you can do is just doing a great job uh, so I got gigs like I would I had headed off to Indonesia for three separate t- trips, uh writing and developing a program there to help people be more assertive and to manage up the organization. I was then invited to be their Master of Ceremonies at a massive event in Brisbane at the Convention Centre for our company, which is called Talking Tease. Our Managing Director loved what I did there and then invited me to facilitate their Executive Leadership Team strategy sessions. Then I got an opportunity to go to Mongolia. So it all started stacking upon each other. So the international experience I gained actually happened internally. So if you want to get international gigs, maybe start looking for opportunities with global companies. But I don't think I'd even go that – I'll I'll actually take it one step further. You also need to, if you want to go down the same path I did, is to get the opportunity with a global company – But you need the right mix of also scoring a manager who is happy to give you the opportunity and give you that exposure. Now, that was set up by my manager, Daryl, in the job interview. I even remember my first week when I had a meeting with him. Um, In walked one of our executive leaders and she said to him, hey, I'm going to Mongolia next month. Did you want to come along as well? Uh, And I just thought that conversation would never have happened in my former government company. And I kind of knew that I was in the right place, which is why I stuck it out. So... If you are given any type of opportunity or you get someone asking you if you can run a workshop, I would just say, say yes and trust yourself to figure it out. Know as well that you need to over deliver and get great feedback every time so you continue to get asked back or your brand and personal, sorry, your personal brand and the word spreads throughout your organization. Uh, Because I certainly had that mindset of treating my colleagues who had these requests like clients like I do now in my business life. And Michael bungay Stanier. sorry, I keep talking about him. Uh, he's a man of the moment because I only spoke to him last Friday. But he talks about doing bad work, doing good work and doing great work. So in my role at the time, I was probably spending about 40% in bad work mode, uh, doing some really annoying system administration of a performance management system, which I really hated. I was not very good at. It required a ton of detail. It was very re- routine oriented. Um, my good work was attending the meetings, responding to the, to the email, scheduling the professional de- development. And I would say about 40% of my time was there. And the great work, the stuff that I loved the most was getting out and facilitating these workshops and bringing in unique ways of explaining things, getting discussions started And that was only about 20% of overall work life. Now, I was okay with the 20% with the average until about a quarter of the way through 2018. I definitely tried to negotiate up and to look at reworking my schedule, even moving to part-time, but it was pretty tough. The business priorities seemed to be more aimed at doing the bad and the good work. And it got to a stage where I wasn't satisfied with having a work week where I only got to spend 20% of the time on my great work. I just Some people can put up with that but I thought the age that I'm at, my um, risk tolerance, I don't want this to be the rest of my life. I don't want to be happy with only 20% being great work. I really wanted to be I mean, at least 50 to 60%. And so when I figured this out that I was dissatisfied with that mix, I decided to build up a runway to exit the organisation and to do my own thing. Rach then asked the question, how did you start? How long did you have a side hustle before you broke free from nine to five? I think in total, it was um, intentionally, it was about 12 months, a 12-month runway. However, I have been wanting to do my own business since actually for a while, ever since reading The 4-Hour Week by Tim Ferriss back in 2010. I also did Dory Clark's Brand you self-assessment. So, I thought I had a personal brand back in 2017. Then I did that self-assessment and realized I didn't – I wasn't doing anything at all, to be honest. I really didn't have a personal brand. And so that gave me a bit of a kick in the butt to start getting into action by start building my profile on LinkedIn, starting to speak at events. The first big event I put my hand up to speak at was something called Disrupt HR, which I would suggest if you're trying to get an opportunity to market yourself as a thought leader in the space – Definitely find an event close to you and and nominate to speak at that. Then I started this podcast and of course, I don't make money from this podcast. This is a lever for me to, to meet new people, develop my skills, build my brand and connect with all of you as well as people that I admire and stamp out Boring Workshops forever. That's really the driver behind this podcast. The podcast is to create more great work for the people listening and then that has knock-on effects for the people in your workshops. I also did things like I listened to the Smart Passive Income by Pat Flynn. I consumed a lot of episodes of Side Hustle School podcast by Chris Gullibow and I'm a member of Jenny Blake's community called Momentum. So I definitely would recommend choosing your mentors wisely. What I love about um, Pat Flynn, Chris Gillibo, and jetty Blake is that they're very authentic people. They're not all salesy. They are all about delivering great content and helping you first. And that's the way I like to style my approach as well. I also was thinking about how how I could develop income, and I was looking at the worst case scenario and. Honestly, the worst case scenario about leaving my job, if things didn't work out, was simply if that didn't if it didn't work, I would just find another job. So that's not a terrible scenario. Or I could even do contract work for the short term while I work the business out. Um, the key thing as well was also relationships. I built up a really great relationship with um, Cameron Fee, who was an external facilitator for the group. He and his wife, Annette, have a company called the Cortex Group. And when I left my job, they gave me an amazing subcontracting work arrangement for the first few months after leaving. So that really helped me transition from full-time corporate person to solopreneur, was was doing the subcontracting stuff. And I definitely believe in partnerships, especially as a facilitator, you don't have to do this all on your own. There are people that are getting work and that need your help and expertise. So try to find those people and build up relationships and connections with them. Her next question was, if you were just starting out, what advice would you tell yourself? Again, looking through the patterns of what I've just spoken about, I feel like to get confidence and get uh, exposure as a facilitator, I don't think you could. There's a better place to start than getting an internal opportunity. So, whether that is a subject matter expert for a company or working in the learning and development team, I believe that it's. It's a really great way to get your confidence because you're running workshops for people that you know, you understand the business context, you can provide uh, workshops on varying topics depending on the demand. So it pushes you that way. And I think that's certainly the way that I got my expertise and my uh, cultural awareness and international experience was through an internal organization. But again, like I said, don't only profile the organization, definitely profile the person you will work for for your manager to make sure that you'll be getting the opportunities. I would also consider building your brand on platforms, particularly LinkedIn. If you don't want to start putting out your own posts, start sharing your views by commenting on other people's content. See what content that you really like commenting on and that might give you some insight into the topics you want to spend more time on. One book I would suggest, apart from Pivot, of course, which I always talk about, is the Thought Leaders Practice. It talks about how you can build up a practice around your thought leadership and it's a guide I'm certainly doubling down on in 2020. I have to say also starting a podcast on a topic you want to learn more about is A game changer. I mean, it worked for me. And even if you think podcasting is oversaturated, I would say, even if you don't get the downloads initially, you'll still win because podcasting gives you a platform to talk to people that you admire and learn from them, which is a win on its own. So, the people, listeners, and guests alike who have only met because of this show make this weekly commitment so worth it. And probably the best thing that I've ever done has been to start this podcast because of connecting with people like you listening in. Also, if you go out on your own, I think you need to love the process of building a business. I see many consultants, speakers, facilitators who love doing the work, but I believe doing the work and actually doing the presenting in the workshops is only about 50% and the other 50% is doing all the work around it. So working on your processes, working on your marketing efforts. I'm still figuring it out, but I, I just don't think it's good enough to be a great facilitator. It's All about the 50% lies in how you market yourself, how you differentiate, how you communicate your brand and your message, how you make sales, all of that. And I think people underestimate how important the business side is um, of business. Her next question was What excites you about your career? For me, um, Jenny Blake talks all about serendipity popcorn, where you wake up in the morning and you get really cool emails and opportunities sent to you. And I think that's the beauty of podcasting and building a brand is that you don't have to actively go out there and make cold calls at all. Um, All of my gigs have been ones that have come to me because of my ability to build my brand and my message. So that's what I love is waking up in the morning and going, oh, wow, someone's asking me about a new gig or checking my LinkedIn messages and finding an amazing opportunity to quote for. Of course, the travel opportunities uh, pretty amazing. I'm, I just can't believe the places I've been to this year. It's pretty overwhelming, to be honest. The USA, uh, Paris, Hong Kong a couple of times, India, Singapore. Um, I'm also genuinely fueled by making learning great, by um, making sure people have fun. I think life is too short to be serious and to have these boring workshops that are going on. So absolutely, there. what I love about this is meeting and connecting with people, and challenging their existing worldviews uh, and giving them secrets to make their world a little bit better, and to take action on things that they've been sitting on. So that, that's probably those are my key drivers. She also asks, "What do I hate?" We use the hate word quite a bit in this in this one, uh, particularly when it came to talking about instructional design. Uh, I hate delivering workshops when I don't have the energy myself, um, and I've had to battle this a lot this year with not getting enough sleep and working in different time zones. I get over it once I start the workshop, but I definitely have some negative self-talk in the morning. Things like, why do you do this to yourself, Leanne? And why do you put yourself under this type of pressure? And I also hate that I continue to modify things up until the moment a workshop starts. I wish I could give myself a break. So I do hate sometimes the pressure I put on myself. I don't think I need to put this much pressure. Um, Something I'm working through, something that I will continue to work through and share on the show. Then she asks, what things should I love if I want to be a facilitator? I would say the things that you need to love are the process of learning. Um, so love learning and be open to new ideas. Learn to be okay with not having to be the expert on everything and to understand that your role is to get the best knowledge and energy and experience sharing with the people in your room. Uh, love unpredictability and love also trusting your process. Now, Rach, um, Just for you, you'd make an incredible facilitator. You've got an amazing abundance of energy and knowledge, and I hope that you do choose the space because I'd love to see you rocking it in workshops. Her final question is: what do you do on a daily basis? Now, this depends on the day of the week. Usually start with drinking water in bed, then a run, something active, getting outdoors. I love being outside, walking the dogs. I wish I could take both dogs on my run with me, but I've got a sausage dog who can't run 5K because he's got his short legs. Then I'll usually have breakfast, coffee. I'll do a LinkedIn check-in. I've blocked out the first two hours of my calendar every day to work on the important and not urgent work. So that's a, a skill I picked up from near Nair Eyal's book, Indistractable. Sometimes I'll head to a cafe in the morning. Otherwise, I'll work from home. And depending on my work schedule, I may rent a co-working space for a month if I'm based in Brisbane for that month. Um, important work includes design work for a presentation, responding to quotes, thinking up content for the show and for my thought leadership on LinkedIn. It's just about getting the balcony time and scanning ahead. I want to do something like, like I definitely want to write a book in 2020. Uh, but I just, uh, just that whole indecision piece. So that's, I need to time block to really work through that. Um, I also batch, batch episodes and the podcast so Wednesday is my day for interviewing people rather than doing an interview on like a Tuesday morning and a Thursday afternoon I can get into the state of podcasting I do something very unusual and I cook dinner at lunchtime because at lunchtime I'm notoriously low energy low creativity so cooking dinner at that time is quite good because then around the four or five o'clock mark I can be doing more sort of higher order thinking tasks I also want to start implementing an 80-20 rule. Um, I think next year I need to get better at saying no to things and getting more clarity on the 20% of the tasks that will actually grow 80% of my business rather than accepting any and all opportunities. And just a final story to wrap up about all these international gigs I've got this year. It's been based on, so these gigs I've I've been delivering, I actually helped to co-write the program when I worked for the company internally. That's why I say I'm very lucky. It was just the right timing. I'd helped craft for the group companies, a leadership workshop. And then I ended up leaving the company when they started implementing the program's internationally so that's how I got it it was basically over in my last week I went down to Sydney to help run a train the trainer for this program at dinner the group learning and development manager asked me hey you know what are your plans for the future and I said oh look don't really know don't (laughs) um one day Chris and I would like to live in Asia sometime we love going to Asia and she's like oh you like in Asia would you like to run this workshop in Hong Kong and I said yes and then the next week I followed it up and then made it happen a few months later I was in Hong Kong, so that was just a case of dropping something in and, and telling someone what my plans ideal plans were in the long term. so I think it's good to have an idea of what you'd like in future. Then when you get asked a question like that and you drop it in, that opportunity came around if If I didn't know that Chris and I wanted to live in Asia sometime, there is no way that she that well I would have answered that way, and then I would have got the gigs so. Uh, maybe plant a seed and think about what do you actually want in a few years so then if anyone asks you what you're up to and you give them an idea there may be an opportunity that's presented to you so that's why I said like I'm extremely lucky and sometimes I don't think it's worth sharing that story because people um, expect that I it was a case of like you know super superior connecting and all that sort of that but it really just came from my internal job which is why I've been extremely lucky this year I just wanted to share that with you. So that's been a bit of a brain dump and I guess I haven't really explored in this level of detail what sort of drives me, how I operate um, and my career journey as well. And I thought that might, if Rach is asking the question, I'm sure other of you may have been asking one or two of these questions. So hopefully um, some of this has helped you and look, continue asking the questions because it really helps me focus my content and what I share with all of you. So there are no silly questions, and I love talking about all things related to facilitation, whether it's growing the business or high-impact activities or icebreakers or connections or whatever it is. Now, next week, I'll be back with an interview. It's with a guy called Tim Ferguson who listens to the show and is just a bit of a superhero when it comes to facilitation. This guy, he calls himself a little bit OCD on the facilitation side, but the best thing about that is he's got so many cool tips and hacks to share with you on the way that he delivers his workshops is super practical. And I can't wait to bring that episode to you on next week's episode. Let me know what you think of this one. Send me a tweet at Leanne Hughes or connect with me on LinkedIn or even ship me an email leanne at leannehughes.com. Until next time, we'll talk to you next week. Ciao. Look, if you're still listening, in the meantime, if you do like the show, I'd love you to help out and get the word out to other people. So there are a few ways you can spread the word. Uh, You can simply send me a link to firsttimefacilitator.com or leave a rating and review in iTunes to boost the public presence of the show. Thanks, First Time Facilitators. Chat next week.